Um, this is a heavy week. It's a heavy chapter. It's a heavy day as we as we come out of praying things that we don't like. We wish we didn't have to pray these things, right? Um, I was with a group of pastors on Wednesday this week, um, and we're talking about lament, which is a it's, it's a it's a biblical thing, but not something we do very well. Um, and one said that lament is is not complaining. Um, but lament is is telling the king of the kingdom that something's not right, that only he can fix. And there's a lot of opportunity for lament as we consider the things we've just been praying for, going to the king of the kingdom, our Lord and God, and saying there's something there's something off in your kingdom. There's something that that we'd love to see you as the king made make right. Would would you would you make this right? Um, and it's, it's we're, we're in this chapter. I hope, I hope several of you read Exodus five coming into tonight. Um, we're in this chapter on a week that, that one actual nation's unjust leader asserts his power and unjust authority over another nation and, and leads to fear and oppression and death. And, and so often, like, it's not uncommon for us to, to go, okay, like the, the, the Bible and its teaching and, and faith things kind of live over here on this shelf, and then there's this world that's existing around us. But... But, but if we have eyes to see, I think what God's going to invite us into tonight is to see how there's themes of, of what goes on in Exodus 5 that are very real in, in the world around us right now um, and help us to lament and help us to, to ask questions that are frankly questions we should always be asking, but just every now and then, like, all of a sudden God shines a spotlight on them and goes, like, we can't help but, but ask this question. Um, and uh, we, we've we've seen that in the last couple of years, like wh- where 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 folks put their hope when they can't put their hope in community, where where folks put their hope when they can't put their hope in in medical things and normal safety and this kind of stuff. Like that's that's a spotlight shown on this one issue that we've all wrestled with this past couple of years. What do we do when we're super lonely? Where do we turn? There's all these questions that that, that are true always. But a lot of times, like we just have the luxury of kind of letting them slip to the back of our minds. And I think there's a question in Exodus 5 that, that the world is asking right now. Um, this is not the first international conflict that's happened throughout history. This won't be the last international conflict that happens throughout history. But as, as the world scrambles to contain or confront or, or do whatever is going to happen, like the question that's back in the spotlight right now is what does authority look like? Is that fair? Like, like everybody's going, what, what does true power look like? Who, who is authority? Who's in charge? And, and I want to submit, like, without, I'm, I'm not trying to, like, force this in. Like, that's, that's the question that's being asked in, in Exodus 5, just on a divine level. Is Moses the authority? So far, if you've been with us in Exodus, we've met this guy, Moses. He's a Hebrew boy, raised as Egyptian royalty, who rejects his Egyptian identity and fled and returned to his Hebrew roots, both ethnically and religiously. Um, He was saved from near certain death by folks who disobeyed the authoritarian, oppressive ruler of the day, who said that you were supposed to kill all the baby boys. And he was called by God to return to Egypt and continue to disobey the authoritarian ruler there and free God's people. So it's Moses, 
the hero? Is Moses the authority? Um, today, God's going to lead Moses to start obeying God's authority. We, we see Moses start to obey the task that God gave him. Moses goes to Egypt today. And today, we're also introduced in, a, in, in an overt way to, to this other character who's this opposing authority. He's just been, he's been, he's been referenced. He's been kind of waiting in the wings. Um, today, we meet Pharaoh. So is Pharaoh the authority? He's the king of Egypt. Uh, like Roman emperors, many years later, uh, pharaohs were considered to be gods, uh, one of many gods in the Egyptian pantheon. Um, the people of Egypt worshipped Pharaoh. Pharaoh considered himself a god. And I don't want to force the image, but in, in Exodus 5, like the stage is going to be set. Today's text starts this battle between authorities, between gods. There's a good God, capital G, and there's a, an evil God, lowercase g. And the big question is, who is Israel going to worship and serve? If I can expand it, the question is, who's Pharaoh going to worship and serve? Who's Egypt going to worship and serve? But it's not just a historic question for folks who lived at the time of the Exodus, 2,000 years, whatever it is, before Jesus. This, this same question is being asked right now. 20,000, no, not 20,000. <laughs> if you let me finish, 20,000 tenths of a year. <laughs> no, 2,022 years after, after Jesus. Like there's a, lot, what's, there's a lot of things claiming to be authorities right now, right? Again, we see it overtly in this situation, saying, I am now your authority, you are mine. But that's happening all day, every day. In more subtle ways, yes. I'm not trying to minimize the, the, the grief and, and horrible things happening, but, but there is a level to which that, that same question plagues every single one of us every day. There, there's lots of things claiming to be authorities. And so the big question for us is who are we going to worship and serve? And so, God, I would I just invite you to, to turn our minds toward you, um, to help us see you in the midst of very real things happening in our world. And to help those very real things also, not, not either or, but, but and also shine a light in our own hearts um, as we consider the things that we are giving ourselves to as authorities. Turn ourselves to you today. Use this disproportionately short time in disproportionately fruitful ways. Amen. Um, I want to talk through Exodus 5 in, in this kind of series of confrontations. Okay, so the confrontations will, will, will be up here. Um, first confrontation is Moses versus Pharaoh. Second confrontation is Israel versus Pharaoh. And then Israel versus Moses. And then there's this, this bigger confrontation that all of these are pointing to and echoing. Um, but we're just going to dive in. So, so the first confrontation is between Moses and also Aaron. Aaron is with Moses. is kind of Moses' spokesperson. The first confrontation is between Moses and Pharaoh. So this is Exodus chapter 5 in verse 1. Afterwards, so after, after Moses had seen a burning bush, after Moses had argued with God, after Moses had been charged to go to Egypt, afterwards Moses and Pharaoh went, to, went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may go hold a feast for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let his I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then 
Moses and Aaron said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. What was Pharaoh's big question when Moses and Aaron approached him? What did he ask? Who is the Lord? He said, I don't know this Lord you speak of. Who is the Lord that I should obey? And and again, like this sets up this this fourth confrontation. This sets up this biggest confrontation that we're going to see in this chapter. And and that's the confrontation between people and God. We can read this chapter and see it's going to be versus Pharaoh and God. But it's not just versus Pharaoh and God. It's, It's a question of authority for all the people in this chapter. So we, we, we had a little bit of this conversation with our, our DNA group this week, um, and I'm curious how you would answer this. Pharaoh asked the question, who is the Lord? If you've been here, if you've been reading Exodus, who's the Lord? Open conversation. Who, who has God shown himself to be so far in Exodus? How might we answer that question? Who is the Lord? What comes to mind? Who does God say that he is? Who's, who's, what is his true character, the work, the promises he's shown in Exodus? What comes to mind? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. Yeah, yeah, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as Joseph, yeah. Um, he's a God of promise, of covenant. He, he made promises to the folks who came before his people. I am that I am. Yeah. There's, there's nothing... Nothing that could describe me. I am that I am. What else? Who else has God shown himself to be, church? God of miracles. God of miracles. And we'll see those in the coming weeks in big ways. Yeah, a God of compassion who cares for the pain of his people. He sees, he hears, he knows, and he's about to intervene. Anything else? Who's God? Yeah. Yeah, miracles and mighty works. He's a God of salvation. He's already saved at least one baby. We don't know. There could have been more. Moses has a brother. Apparently that brother got saved out of Pharaoh's clutches as well. And and we could go on and on. Like, it's good for us to just pause every now and then and rehearse truths like this, especially in hard times, especially when other authorities or other lowercase g gods, and we use this term a lot, like air quotes, lowercase g gods, lesser gods, false gods. It's, it's good to rehearse these truths when other gods seem appealing or seem to be winning. Israel's suffering under a lesser god at this point in the story. And, and until this chapter, we've got to understand this, Israel doesn't know that God's at work. Right? Like we, get, we get the benefit of reading back and seeing like Moses has been gone for 40 years. God appears to Moses in a burning bush, calls Moses, charges Moses, empowers Moses to go. Israel doesn't know that. They don't know that God's been at work. They just know they're suffering. But God is at work. God has been working to raise up a savior. I'm going to use that word intentionally, a savior for his people. God is all the things that we just said and so much more. And that's not just true in Moses' day. That's true right now. 
God is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is still a God of love and compassion. God is still a, a, a God of miracles. And he is these things whether we see it or not. And for contrast's sake, we can reverse and re-ask Pharaoh's question about Pharaoh. Who is the Lord, Pharaoh says. We can say, well, who is Pharaoh? See, the God of Israel, the one true God, is defined by love and protection and justice for his family. Pay attention through this chapter because we're going to see that Pharaoh, claiming to be God, is defined by not those things. He's defined by jealousy and oppression and pride and injustice for his subjects. But zooming out to this fourth confrontation, the biggest one, people versus God, that's a confrontation that we're all involved with. Like the, the, the question of authority, who is the Lord that I should obey him? If we're really honest, is a question that you wondered maybe this week, maybe today. Maybe you wouldn't say it like that. But if Pharaoh thinks he's God, that question rejects that anything else could be God. But is there anyone else in the Bible that we've seen so far that you know as you think back on just Bible stories? You don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to know some of these folks. Um, is Pharaoh the only person in the Bible who asked this question? Who's the Lord that I should obey him? Kiddos, who else in the Bible disobeys God? Ev- everyone. Good job, kiddo. <laughs> and good answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's the question of Genesis 3, right? The serpent comes and says, is God really who he says he is? And Eve goes, is God really who he says he is? And Adam goes, is God really who he says he is? That's the, it's the question of Abraham and Sarah when God says, I'm going to give you offspring. And Abraham and Sarah go, maybe we should do it in our way instead of God's way. It's the question that Moses asked when God said, I'm going to send you to Egypt. He said, don't send me. These are all just different versions of Who's the Lord that I should obey? Is that fair? Like, it's easy to lose this subtle reality in the, in the, in the scope of, of Pharaoh's magnanimous evil. And, and don't get me wrong, like Pharaoh is magnanimously evil, but the seed of that evil is somewhere buried in me and is somewhere buried in you and is somewhere buried in all of us. So these two questions that I want you to just kind of write down. You all have paper. Um, write down and consider this week. Maybe talk about with your DNA. It's going to come up on the screen. These two questions from this first confrontation, from this Moses-Pharaoh confrontation, are one, what voices do you obey other than God? Notice I'm not asking, do you obey other voices than God's? I'm just going to go ahead and project that on every one of us. What are the voices that whether for a moment or for a season, you're tempted to obey other than God, maybe more than God. What, what external voices are siren songs that say, no, 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 come follow me. Come follow me. Do you want to answer? Satan. Satan. There you go. Diablo. Di- Di- Diablo. See, <laughs> si, in English and in Espanol, both. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's not wrong. Like, there's the serpent, right? And he comes in crafty, deceitful forms. He rarely shows up in a bold way and says, God's wrong or evil. It's a lot more subtle. Is God really good? 
Does God re- is he really in control? Does he really? Who he says he is, is he really who he says he is? So what, what external voice, what internal voice, what internal desires or excuses have greater power than God? Because whoever or whatever the answer to that question is, that thing, that person, at least in that instance, is a God to us. That's the Lord whose voice we obey. And so then the second question, if we're really introspective, is to go, what do we know to be true of that voice? What are the, what are the character and ways represented by that voice? Is it a good voice? Is it an evil voice? Is it a trustworthy voice? Is it a deceitful voice? Is it, is it a selfish or enticing or deceptive voice? Or is it a selfless and honest and godly voice? Because that's the kind of authority that God's voice represents. And at the end of this first conflict, we're going to see Pharaoh's character and Pharaoh's ways. We're going to see the kind of authority and the kind of quote-unquote God that Pharaoh is. So verse 5 will be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, read with me. Exodus 5, 5, And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. Okay, so we've got a power chart, org chart here. Pharaoh, taskmasters, foremen, then population of Israel. He commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go gather their own straw for themselves. By the number of bricks they shall make in the past, you shall still impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. That's why they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men so that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Church, just like every other false god... Pharaoh's character, his ways, his promises are going to fade and be shown as false when compared to the one true God. Pharaoh's acts, which is increased oppression, increased injustice, they're going to set up the second conflict versus Israel and Pharaoh. So they're having this conversation. The, the, the foremen of Israel are going to go to Pharaoh and complain. But, but first, the taskmasters obey Pharaoh. I love the prayer that was prayed a little bit ago for folks who, who receive orders to go and kill. To instead go, no, there's a higher authority who's about life and not death. Like we see others disobeying Pharaoh. We've seen folks disobey Pharaoh's order to kill already in this book of Exodus. Those people reflected the heart of God rather than the heart of their human authority. And we've already said any authority is from God, and yet the goal and role of any authority is to reflect their org chart boss. If God gave them authority, are they going to reflect God's will, God's ways, or not? Pharaoh is not. But these taskmasters obey Pharaoh, not God. Which makes sense. He's their boss. He's, he's worshipped as a god. In fact, the, the same parallel term is used in verse 1. Thus says the Lord in verse 10. Thus says Pharaoh. The, the author's being intentional here and going, this is the level to which people worshipped Pharaoh. 
And so Israel's foremen go to Pharaoh. And here's where we see this confrontation. I'm skipping down to verse 15. The foreman of the people said, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given, and yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But Pharaoh said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you said, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now go and work. No straw will be given to you, but you still must deliver the same number of bricks. And the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. I love that phrase. Saw that they were in trouble. When they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks that you should make day by day. So the question at the center of the first confrontation is, who is the Lord? Right? As Pharaoh plays God to Israel, the question at the center of the second confrontation is, why are you treating me like this? Why are you treating us like this? This is directed to Pharaoh. Why does Pharaoh treat us like this? And what's Pharaoh's answer? It's an overt authoritarian power play. He's going to punish Israel for something most of Israel didn't do. Like many authoritarian leaders that we're seeing now and that we've seen throughout history, Pharaoh turns to worldly power, worldly domination, oppression, and injustice, and then he pits allies against each other. Moses and Aaron are there to help Israel, but Pharaoh uses his authority not for Israel's good, but rather for evil. He makes Moses and Aaron, and thus God, out to be Israel's enemy. And we'll come back to that, but for now, I just, I just simply want us to pause. Because in Pharaoh, we see the sad and common reality of a bad God. I think back to the voices that we can all probably identify quicker than we'd like that we obey. Um, there's a strong chance that that voice is demanding, shaming, causing anxiety rather than relieves it. That voice is never satisfied. Is this true? That's true of everything in history that we obey, literal or figurative, other than the one true God. And so Lydia's already got the questions up here for this second confrontation. What is it that we worship and serve? Again, this, this in a sense just reiterating the question from the first conflict, who is your Lord? But, but it just makes it a little bit more personal. What do we do when something is our God? We, we obey it. We worship, we serve it like the taskmasters did. And the second question is, how does Pharaoh remind you of that person or thing? So, so here's what I mean. If, if for a moment or for a constant struggle, we worship or serve a parent or a spouse or a parent-in-law, or a child does that person expect more than you can give if for a moment or as a pattern we worship and serve lust is it ever satiated and satisfied satisfied or does it always demand more and more and then heap the shame upon you if you subscribe or if our, our neighbors or friends or coworkers subscribe to any other world religion or philosophy, it will always similarly demand more and more. Earn your way into whatever version of heaven by, by, by five pillars or by daily discipline. 
do these acts of penance for every time that you're imperfect. Achieve nirvana. Work harder. Do more. It's on you. Make bricks. Make more bricks. Make bricks without straw. Don't fail or your God will punish you. Isn't that what Pharaoh's saying? Isn't that what every other false god says? There's one God, church, who's, who's different from all the others. The God of Israel, of, Asa, of, of now I messed it up, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Isaac. <laughs> that, that's the God that, that sent Moses and Aaron to invite Israel to worship and serve him. That God also claims to be the ultimate authority. I want to make that very clear. Like God's not letting us off the hook to, to find authority, to, 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 to disregard authority. Like the God of Israel is claiming to be the authority of Israel. The, the God who is Jesus Christ is claiming to be our authority. Uh, here I raise my Ebenezer, we sang a little bit ago. Ebenezers were monuments, right? You know what Israel is making straw, making bricks for out of straw or without straw? Pyramids. Monuments to another God. Like God, God is, is asking for our allegiance. He's claiming to be the ultimate authority. And yet, he's unlike any other God. Because while every other God says, don't fail, earn it, do more, or I'll punish you, our God says, I know you failed. I know that because of sin and brokenness, no one can live a 100% perfect life. We can't do everything we're asked. And so that God, rather than heaping guilt and shame and anxiety and oppression and injustice on us, instead showed us mercy and grace and gave 100% of his life for us. A couple thousand years after Exodus, Jesus perfectly obeyed God on your behalf and suffered God's punishment for your failure and your sin and your brokenness. And, and Jesus died in your place and rose to guarantee you a better life and a better kingdom as a better God and better authority and better king than any other authority, king, or God that we are so tempted to worship and serve. Rather than demand more, like Pharaoh, like lust, like parents or in-laws, like, like everyone and everything whose authority we can submit to, Jesus, rather than demand more, Jesus paid it all, says the psalm. There's one good God, and he's worth worshiping and serving. He is an authority, but he's a good one. Is that good news? That God sent Moses and Aaron to Egypt. Yes, to free his people from the evil king and evil God that is Pharaoh. Like that's the common part of the story in Israel, in, in, in Exodus. But more than that, God sent, sent Moses and Aaron not just to bring Israel out, but to bring Israel home. Like to bring Israel back to a better God and better king, to trade up from a bad authority to a good authority, to, to be freed from an oppressive and unjust king to a merciful and ultimately just and gracious king. But because Pharaoh made Moses and enemies out to be made Moses and Aaron, excuse me, out to be enemies, instead of believing Moses and Aaron and God, we get to this third confrontation. And that's Israel versus Moses. The four men 
left Pharaoh, knew they were in trouble. And here's what they say in verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So Israel doubted and that caused Moses and Aaron also to doubt. The big question from confrontation one is who is the Lord? Confrontation two, why does Pharaoh treat us like this? The question from this confrontation is why is God treating us like this? Like that's, that's not as explicit, but that's, that's what Israel is asking Moses and Aaron. They're saying, you represent God? You just made our life hard. If you're claiming to represent God, God is making our life And so Moses takes that doubt directly to God, which for the record is the right thing to do. That's lament. That's going and saying, God, there's something wrong in your kingdom. You as the king, please make it better. Verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh God, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he's done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. What did God send Moses to do? Proclaim deliverance. What is, what is Moses saying back to God? It hasn't happened yet. God, you're king over your kingdom. There's something not right about this. Why, God, are you treating us like this? But the question from this confrontation, if you want to move forward, Lydia, is are you willing to trust God even when you don't understand it? Again, Israel doesn't know that God's been working. God's hand was on Moses 40 plus years before this to save his life. God's hand was on Moses to move him out of Egypt and worldly power to teach him what it looked like to be a shepherd. God's hand was on Moses calling him from within a bush to go back. God's working. Israel just doesn't know. Could that be true for us today? And are we able and willing to obey God, to trust God, even when we don't understand? It's really easy to trust God when times are easy. Actually, maybe it's actually easy to forget God when times are easy, if we're really honest, but that's a different day. It's it's easy to trust God when times are easy, but our faith in God is proven in times like this. Do you still trust God when things are, are hard? Do you still trust God when you're suffering? Can you trust God when people are evil and the world seems to have gone awry and is just utterly confusing? As is the case with Moses and Aaron, can you trust God when you try to do good things, but instead it just comes back and seems like it's just harder? Exodus 5 ends with Moses asking God why. It's a question you've asked. Whether you let yourself believe you've asked it or not, it's a question you've asked, it's a question that I've asked. It's a question we ask in moments of doubt. Like, Ab- like Abraham and Sarah did, like Adam and Eve did, like Moses and Aaron did. Are you really good? Are you really who you say you are? Are you really worth my worship and obedience and service? Or should I just settle for some other God, even if I know they're lesser 
even if I know they'll let me down at least for just a second, it feels like it satisfies. I can control that kind of God. It's easier to see that kind of God. Are you really good? Are you who you say you are? That's how the chapter ends. But God answers in the very next verse. When we ask, when Moses asks, why are you allowing this? Are you really good? Are you really God? Here's what God says. Chapter 6, verse 1. It'll be on the screen. The Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, Pharaoh will send my people out, and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of the land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, what's it say? I am am the Lord. I am still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm still the God of miracles. I, I still am who I am. I'm the undefinable. I am trustworthy. I have not changed. I'll show you what true power looks like. I will display ultimate authority greater than any man 2,000 years before Jesus or 2,000 years after Jesus. I alone am God. If you trust me, I will destroy every false and fading God because I am the Lord. So here's what you have to know before we dive into these next coming chapters. God is not going to punish Pharaoh because God is mean. That's not what's going to happen. God is going to discipline Pharaoh because Pharaoh is claiming to be God. God is going to discipline Pharaoh because Pharaoh is oppressing God's people. God is going to discipline Pharaoh because Pharaoh is disobeying God and claiming to be God and claiming that his own way is better. But church, who else does that? You and I do all the time in way more subtle ways, maybe only because we don't have the power behind us. Pharaoh's like everybody else. What's the wage of sin for every human, no matter what power structure or era they've lived in? What's the wage for sin, according to Romans? It's death. Sin, Sin and disobedience lead to death. God is a patient God who offers life. He sends Moses and Aaron to warn Pharaoh. He sends prophets later to warn disobeying people. Pharaoh rejects the warnings. And we'll see what happens next. But 2,000 years after this, God sends a better Savior to the world. And God's offer and invitation is still the same. Come, come into the wilderness. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's harder to worship me as God than all those other things. But it's going to be uncomfortable, but come worship and serve me. Why? Because I am the one true God. We are so satisfied, are we not, with false, lesser gods, even though they demand so much and let us down? What God is saying to to Israel through Moses and Aaron, what God is saying to us through his word, is if we trade our allegiance and trust and obey, even when it's hard, we will find a better God for this life and the next. Is that good news? good news when times are really confusing? He's not. So that's what we're going to declare as we take communion. So if you didn't get your uh, juice and your wafer, uh, there's some on the back table by Ian back there. Um, Communion declares, God, I trust you. 
Communion declares, God, you are God and you are good. So we open the top and, and take the wafer. We, we say that this represents the body of Christ. In this chapter, Pharaoh asks, who is the Lord? False gods and Pharaoh are demanding and impotent and let us down. But, but here's what I want us to reflect on today. In the body of Christ, his bodily life, his perfect sinless obedience, in the person of Christ, we see the fullness of the one true God. Contrasted with any other false God on earth, what we see in Christ's body is grace and love and forgiveness. He met us in our imperfection and doubt, and maybe this is the news we need to hear. He doesn't waver even when we do. This is the body of Christ in which we see the fullness of God broken for you. Take and eat. wine or juice or fruit of the vine represents the blood of Christ. When you be reminded that, that Jesus is powerful and perfect, he is the one true God, and yet he sacrificed himself to the point of death for your life. And rather than demanding of us things we can never offer, Jesus paid it all so that we can receive things that we can never earn or attain. Church, this is the blood of Christ shed for you to bring you home. Take and drink. Father, if we're honest, we all ask, who is the Lord? We all worship and serve and obey lesser gods. We continue to lift up things happening in our very real world today, God. I thank you that you brought us to this chapter to remind us who you are. I think that we're going to see you keep your promise and protect your people and free them and also display your power through plagues cast upon the unjust and the oppressive. We thank you for the mercy and truth that's only through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Um, Matt's going <laughs> to play a little bit, and I just want to invite us to, to just see if God has something for us in any of this today. Um, again, scripture can be over here. Real life can be over here. I think there's some reminders, maybe different reminders for every single person in the room, but there's some reminders for us today, some consideration. So I'd just love to invite you to consider that and we'll worship Jesus.